Wine Work and Passion is brought to you by the Napa Valley Wine Academy, America's premier wine school and two-time winner of the WSET Global Wine Educator of the Year Award. You can find a course that's right for you at NapaValleyWineAcademy.com and use the code in our show notes for a special discount. Welcome, wine enthusiasts and job seekers. I'm your host, Karen Wetzel, and Wine, Work, and Passion is the podcast where we inspire you to make a career out of your passion for wine. Today, I'm excited to bring you my interview with Master of Wine, Vanessa Conlon. Vanessa is the Chief Wine Officer at Wine Access and has an extensive resume working in many fields of the wine industry from New York to California. In this episode, Vanessa will talk about her amazing journey to becoming the 52nd Master of Wine in the U.S., as well as her diverse career path and her work at Wine Access. At the end of the show, Vanessa will share her best suggestions to help you start or continue your own wine industry story. Let's get to the interview. Hi, Vanessa. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us here on the show. Really appreciate it. So can you tell the audience who you are and what you do in the wine industry? Absolutely. Uh, Well, first of all, again, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. Um, So uh, I'm Vanessa Conlon. I'm a a master of wine and I'm currently employed at Wine Access where I'm on the executive team. I'm the chief wine officer. Great. Thanks. And and the reason why you and I are together, why, why I know you a bit, is because you have in the past and maybe even currently doing a little bit of wine education at the academy for us, right? Absolutely. Um, yes, I have taught at the academy and um, the academy was also extremely kind and generous um, with my study group. When I was studying for the Master of Wine, they would often allow us to meet there on weekends to do our mock exams and tastings. I believe that they still meet there occasionally. So I really owe the Academy a huge, huge debt of gratitude um, for for that. That was such a huge help to all of us. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and you're still listed as one of our instructors. I happened to check our website earlier today, <laughs> which is awesome. That's very, very good. Tell the audience, you know, about your background. What kind of college do you have if you do? And how did you get into the wine industry? And just give us some idea of who you are. Yeah, for sure. So to start with, I did not grow up in a wine family or in the wine business. I really didn't understand until I was in college that there were actually careers that you could have in wine that weren't just, you know, maybe working at a wine bar or, you know, growing up in a wine family and being a winemaker. I had really no idea how how the wine business worked. And although my parents really love wine now because I share a lot of good stuff with them, um, <laughs> they, you know, they they certainly weren't weren't teetotalers, but we rarely had wine in the house. You know, maybe they'd have a dinner party every once in a while and they would, you know, go to the grocery store and pick up I don't know what, and I'm sure they didn't know what they were picking up either. Um, so, so I really, I, I didn't know anything about it until later in life. My, my background is, uh, originally was in music. So both of my parents are classical musicians. Um, I love all types of music. I mean, well, maybe with a few exceptions, I love most types of music, <laughs> but, but what I grew up with was, was classical music. My mother is an opera singer. Um, and my, my father is a symphony conductor. So, wow. and I'm an, I'm an only child and I just, this is what I grew up with. You know, rarely would I have 
you know, babysitter after school, I would be sort of dragged around to these different things. My mom teaching voice lessons or, you know, listening to my dad rehearse with the symphony. And, you know, I really love music. I, I studied piano um, and voice and ultimately, you know, went to college for music um, to be an opera singer. So I have a master's degree in music. I went to Manhattan School of Music for undergrad, and then I went to Boston University to get my master's degree and um, performed professionally for several years as a singer. I never, I really never considered doing anything else, to be honest, than, than right. music. Um, so I was living in New York and um, traveling a good bit because opera, for the most part, it's rare. It, it, it's it's rare, at least in the United States, to have long-term contracts with one opera company. That happens in Europe uh, pretty frequently, but here you usually you audition for something. If you get cast, you go for a couple, you know, weeks, maybe months to one company. You perform your role and then you leave, uh, okay. and then on to on to the next. So I was based in New York, but traveling a, a good bit. I did um, one show on Broadway, which uh, kept me in New York for for a longer period of time than usual. But essentially, what happened was, you know, I. There's something about wine that always piqued my interest. It just seemed like there was so much more there that I wanted to know, even though I didn't even really know what the questions would be to ask. It just right. seemed something like there was something so romantic and magical and almost like a performance about it. The whole, you know, seeing someone open a bottle and the sounds that you hear and then, you know, the the, the sensual enjoyment, you know, of aromas and flavors and all those things. And I would hear people use these words and in many cases it, they were words that I would use to describe music, you know, like balance, harmony. Um, so there right. was just always just something there. Um, and so I basically... It, it I, is very theatrical. Wine, I guess I never thought of it that way, but the whole process is a bit theatrical. It, it is. You get to use all of your senses, you know? Right. Um, and and so basically I, I thought, yeah, I have a little downtime in between singing jobs. I want to learn about this. And I signed up for really like a one-on-one class. Um, not a W set, just a really like completely beginner, you know, wine basics class at the, it was at the new school in New York. And I just, I left and I had filled up pages and pages and pages of notes. And I had tasted, you know, I tasted, I remember this so clearly we tasted Vouvray and I had never had Chenin Blanc before. And I was like, this is so delicious and I want to know more. And um, I just, I just kind of something about it just clicked for me where I thought, you know, I love music so much, but I didn't even know this was possible. And now that I've discovered it, this is, this is my calling. So nice. that was that I didn't have an, you know, people talk about their epiphany bottles. Like I didn't have an epiphany bottle. I went to a class. <laughs> yeah. Well, and- but everybody has an epiphany one way or the other. And yeah, mm-hmm. that's very, that, now, now I know the audience wants to know because I want to know, would you mind telling us what Broadway show you were in? Oh, sure. So I was in um, Baz Luhrmann's La Boheme on Broadway. So Baz Luhrmann, mm-hmm. the movie director, he um, he he did an absolutely beautiful performance. It was opera, but it was on Broadway. We did get no- nominated for a Tony Award, so I got to perform at Radio City Music Hall and the Tony Awards. But we we sadly wow. we did not we didn't oh, win. <laughs> That's very cool. That's very cool. But, but you know, you touched on something that people don't often think about until they get into wine is there's something about wine to me. It's, you know, it, it is, I love that you described it, you know, sort of like, like music and, and the theatrical aspect of it. 
but it's also so all encompassing. It's, you know, wine is about geography, geology, chemistry, biology. It's about religion and history and war and currency. And, you know, it's all, it's such an endless topic that people get into wine for all kinds of reasons. If you're a history buff, study wine because you'll be enthralled for, for years to come. There's, there's just so much to learn about. So anyway, that was pretty cool. So you got into wine from taking a class. You had been, you know, doing the singing and on Broadway. Then how did you get into the industry itself or at what point did you do that? I, so I continued taking classes after that. So I did start um, WSET in New York. So I started, you know, taking the studies more seriously. I took a job at a, a brick and mortar retail store. Um, I mean, basically for, you know, whatever minimum wage was back then, just to be around the buyer, to hear her talk, mm-hmm. to be able to sit in on the tastings and just, just really learn. And um, so from there, I, I, I did a couple of different things in the wine industry. So brick and mortar retail in New York, um, I worked for a bit for um, an importer of French wine. I like all, you know, artists, of course, had also spent time in restaurants. <laughs> um, right. um, but but yeah, the, the longest amount of time I spent um, in the wine business in New York was was in brick and mortar. And so ultimately, after time, I ended up being the manager and buyer for that store where I had started just on the floor. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was the became the buyer of a second retail shop and then um, also the wine director for a wine bar. So I was had all all three jobs going on at the same time uh, wow. when I was in when I was in New York, um, and again still pursuing you know the W set levels going all the, you know I think I'd started diploma at that point, and I you know I love New York I think it's the greatest city on earth but I was kind of ready for a change, and also the one piece I felt I was really really just longing to learn more about was being around vineyards and actual winemaking. Mm-hmm. So I, I moved to Napa in 2010 um, to be closer to vineyards and production. And um, I've, I've been here ever since. I've done a, a number of different things while I was here. I've worked for wineries, doing sales and marketing, uh, managing their mailing lists. Uh, and then I started with Wine Access in 2017. Okay. When did you start? Well, we'll get to your MW thing in, in just a second. One thing I kind of want to go back to and, and or just bring a little more insight to, you know, you talked mm-hmm. about getting that first retail job. Not that it paid all that much, but you wanted to be around the wine buyer and you wanted to start learning. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do career coaching for people wanting to get into the wine industry. And I tell them, take some kind of ent- entry level job if you don't have any other experience, because to me, it's like getting paid to learn, even though you might not be getting paid a lot, but it's an extension of your wine education. Um, and sometimes just getting in at that entry level, you start meeting people, you meet distributor reps, you, you know, there's all kinds of people you're going to meet along the way that could ultimately lead to other jobs. And I, I have had a lot of clients that started off in either retail or restaurants and ultimately moved on to distributor or became a manager, like you said, or, you know, the, it does open up a lot of doors. And sometimes you kind of have to take a little step financially backwards to go two or three steps forward. But I'm glad you brought that up because that is, it's a good pathway in, you know, because everybody says, oh, we want you to have experience. Well, where are you going to get experience? You got to start somewhere, right? Oh, you're exactly right. Yes. Yeah. So that, so, so now let's, you started at Wine Access in 2017. Before we get into Wine Access, talk about your, you're in Master of Wine. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about what that is, um, because a lot of people listening are saying, oh, she's a Psalm. 
not the same thing. <laughs> not right. one is not better or worse, but they're two different things. Why don't you talk yeah. about that and and what your journey was getting through? It's not for the faint of heart, for sure. You're one of only two. <laughs> you were you were the. I understand you were the fifty second MW in the U.S. Yes, there are now I believe fifty six because we've had a new a new class um, that that passed since I have. But yes, they I believe we're at fifty six in the United States currently. And that was um, so, in 2010 that you got your MW, right? Uh, uh, 2020, actually. I moved to Napa oh, in 2010. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so I, yes, and I became an MW in, in, in 2020, um, right okay. as COVID was hitting. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> so, that was, yeah, that was a whole experience in and of itself. But um, so the Master of Wine, uh, and I, I actually really appreciate that you ask about sort of the difference between being a sommelier and being um, a, a, a Master of Wine. So I would say the Master Sommelier and the Master of Wine are the two highest credentials you can earn in the wine business. And they're both very difficult. I have tremendous respect for Master Sommeliers. It's not the same program. Um, I would say probably the Master Sommelier, you know, if anyone has seen the movie Psalm, that's the exam that they're studying for, which frankly makes for a much more entertaining show because um, the Master Sommelier uh, exam is all spoken. Um, is well, it, the majority is, is spoken, whereas all of the Master of Wine is written. So it's not probably not quite as interesting to do a documentary on. Um, but but essentially, you know, you have to know, you have to understand both programs. You have to really have a, a deep understanding of of wine to be able to blind taste. I would say the difference is, um, you know, Master Sommelier, if you just even think of the name, it's really geared toward, or originally was geared toward people who would work in restaurants. It involves a service exam where you have to be able to show your, your, your table side service. I think it's a little bit more sort of factual recall, which again, of course, makes sense if you're standing table side next to someone who wants to order a bottle of wine, you need to very sort of very quickly be able to, you know, list off a number of things about different producers or regions or vintages. The master of wine, you would need to know all of those things as well, except we don't do service. And we do everything in a written form because it's all to showcase sort of critical thinking. So rather than sort of us, you know, name the Grand Cruz of Burgundy, they would ask you a question about Burgundy where you would have to show your knowledge of, you know, the the uh, viticulture, vinification, you know, marketing, use example, real life examples of people that are doing different practices there. So you're kind of tying all of these parts of the wine industry, but being able to sort of almost argue as if you were, you know, form a case as if you were, you know, arguing a, a case in court. So you're showing, I understand this topic and I'm not going to just say one opinion about it. I'm going to showcase that like everything with wine, there's always a, you ask two people, you're going to get two different answers. So really also showing that you understand kind of that it's not everything is, is, is cut and dry. So um, we taste 36 wines blind. I believe they taste six. Um, so we're, we're covering a, a, a broader range of wines as well. So we have, you know, sparkling rosé, white, red, fortified, sweet. Um, we don't taste any fruit wines or spirits, um, but uh, that's a, it's a bit more categories that, that we cover in the Master of Wine than in the Master Sommelier. Yeah. And, and I, like I say, I, every time I, I have fortunately met many on both sides of that aisle, but I think it's just the word sommelier has become so generic in our country, mm-hmm. which is a shame because the people who actually are actual sommeliers work so hard for it. But, you know, oh, when, I yeah. was, when I was selling wine, they're like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a sommelier. And they had, you know, they were just the wine. It was just a fancy name for a wine buyer, which isn't 
you know, they sort of hijack the term a lot and that's unfortunate. Um, they're right. Yeah. And, and some, you know, master sommeliers and masters of wine, it's, they're incredibly prestigious levels to, to be at and titles to have, and you work very, very hard for them. So be careful to the audience, be careful when you just toss that word some around. Um, (laughs) It is not always what it appears to be, but anyway, it's, it's a very prestigious uh, place to be, but not the only one. So anyway, just like to get that out. So, so that was in 2020. All right. So Let's talk about wine access, and then I want to talk about how you're using your Master of Wine credential in your yes. life, and we'll get into that. So tell us a little bit about wine access. So wine access, so we are uh, based here in California, but we are a national company, so we're an online provider of wine, so we ship into 46 states plus the District of Columbia, direct-to-consumer. Uh, so the company itself has been around um, for over 20 years, although it's evolved a good amount in that time. So the founder originally was, think of sort of early earlier days of the internet, and um, he would help sort of smaller mom and pop wine stores stand up their their internet presence. Right. And so that was, and eventually realized, oh, I'm you know I, I'm I'm doing all these sites. Um, I'm able to actually provide wine to people who are going to these uh, brick and mortar stores, but I could do this you know, on the internet. So it's one of the sort of early, what we, what is, I, I hesitate to use this word anymore because it has a very sort of discount connotation, but um, you know, the sort of daily offer model, um, mm-hmm. which is wine sold via email. So he was very early in that space. Um, and it, you know, it has evolved over time. Um, changed, he retired a couple years ago. It's, it's changed hands. But ultimately, we have a couple of different channels that we sell wine. So we do still have the wines that we sell via email. So we would focus on usually one wine or one producer at a time. And we do all original content. So we'll write 500 to 1000 word um, content about that producer, you know, really trying to bring the reader into the space to understand you know, what's special about it? You know, if you were there, what would you see in the vineyards and the winery? Who are the people behind it? And of course, we write all of our own tasting notes as well. Um, so we sell wine via email that way. We have an online store. We do not have any brick and mortar stores. It's online store. Um, and then we have a number of different clubs or subscriptions that we offer as well, which have become increasingly important to the business over time. Those are the three major ways we sell wine. We do a small amount of in-person um, events. Let's say we'll have a you know small gathering with a winemaker, um, something like that. But but really, most of what we do is is virtual. It's it's via it's via the internet. Right. Now, do you do those events virtual as well? Sometimes do you do some virtual events? Absolutely. I mean, again, especially well, especially during the pandemic, we got really adept at that. Um, but yes, you know, I'll do things like interviews with winemakers or tastings, um, webinars, you know, and in some cases, what I really like to do as well is not everything is necessarily a sales opportunity, but we'll just gather some, you know, great minds in the wine business and, and talk about a topic um, uh, on a webinar. But we do, as I said, just a small number of in-person events as well. You have a pretty cool corral of experts that are curating product and writing the education, correct? We do. We do. So I'm very lucky. I oversee a team. I actually have a master sommelier on my team. 
as well as um, four other extremely talented individuals. You know, you have the, the former global beverage director of, of Morimoto Worldwide. I have the former mm-hmm. uh, beverage director for Michael Chiarello on my team. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's a really amazing group. And so our job is curation. So we are um, sort of, we'll get a mix of sort of inbound requests of people who would like us to taste their wine and consider them. And we do a lot of outward requests as well. So basically we're managing, um, we call them suppliers. So whether that's, you know, a winery or an importer, um, and we're always looking, you know, we offer wine every single day of the year. The internet does not take a vacation. (laughs) So we are are always on the lookout for great, great wines from every price point. So anything from, you know, $10 up to $1,500 or more, but everything has to have a great story and we have to really believe in it and really believe that it has a great price to quality ratio. We taste everything ourselves. And I, I think that's really important because as there's so many voices in the industry and there's a lot of you know people who are are wine critics whether they have credentials or not who may you right. know tell you wine is great um, but we never just say oh well you you said so so i believe you we taste every single wine and then as i mentioned we do write our own tasting notes which i also think is important as well because if you think about it sometimes that that tasting note was written by the you know the winemaker at the time of release. Well, maybe right. we're offering it a several years after release. It doesn't taste exactly like that anymore. And I really want the consumer to know not what exactly is going to be in their glass, and also where is it now? What is our recommended drinking window from when I taste it? You know today, right? And you know if you go to a retail a retailer, whether it's a, you know a, a grocery store that has a good wine selection or a, a, a wine shop per se it's very rare that the proprietor or the wine steward or whoever's managing that department, it's very rare that they would have tasted, you know, all of the wines. And in some cases they haven't tasted hardly any of them and they're just mm-hmm. going by what they've you know, been told. So to have something, you know, curated for that and knowing that you're tasting it, you know, you're, you're really getting expert advice now. So you have some products that you kind of carry on a regular basis mm-hmm. that are available. If you just say, Oh, I think I want to buy some wine. You can go on your website and just see what's available in your shop, your online, your virtual online, shop. Right. But mm-hmm. then you also have the features, the you know, limited time time offer kind of thing as well. Exactly. So, th- so what we call the daily offer, those are limited times. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll carry them until they're sold out. Um, versus our online store, where we try to keep things pretty consistently in stock, so you could go in and just you know, if you like it, you can go back and repurchase. You know, the daily offer is a is a way where we can often feature wines also that are, you know, allocated, we only maybe have access to them once a year. And we really want to get them in your hands as as quickly as possible, because I know I'm not going to be able to keep them in stock year round. Right, right. And, you know, you mentioned the original owner was really focusing on little boutiques, small producers. Is that still the case? Or are you a little more diversified and have things that uh, that people might have heard of or been familiar with before? It's a great question. You know, it's a it's a combination of both. I'd say what we really try not to do is is have the same thing that you could just walk into your local supermarket, let's say, and find. You know, right. um, so we really, I mean, there has to be a reason for people to want to shop with us. <laughs> so, right. so we're really looking for things. And when we think about the name itself, even access. You know, we we say you know the uh, the the greatest barrier to wine isn't price; it's access. 
And that's where, mm-hmm. you know, my, my team and I can come into place because we, we do have, you know, this sort of global knowledge of, of producers and access into sort of small portfolios or smaller wineries. But then again, you know, not all great wine is, is, is made in small quantities. I mean, in Bordeaux, they're not afraid of volume. Right. <laughs> that's true. People, and people have really don't understand that. That's very, very true. Nothing yeah. wrong with volume if it's done right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's a combination of sort of very small boutique producers and some names that you might find elsewhere. But again, you know, we, we want it to be special in some way. And, and what we also guarantee is, is provenance. So we don't buy anything on the gray market, meaning we don't, you know, buy wines that have been in someone's private cellar or from other retailers, or we can't guarantee how it's been stored. So we're only going really direct to the source. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So, you know, we talked about your, your, you know, your team of experts for as far as curating the wines, what other types of positions are available in, in, in your business model as e-commerce? So there's a number of different departments and we all, we all work in tandem, um, some closer than others, but um, because we are really on selling wine on the internet, I, we don't have, let's say someone who's like stocking a shelf, a physical shelf every day. Of course we have warehouses that we work with, but in terms of, uh, in terms of our team, um, there's of course accounting cause someone has to, you know, um, uh, be the, 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 bean counter. <laughs> the, the bean counter. Exactly. Um, so we have an accounting department. Um, we have operations, which is handling, you know, lo- the logistics of, let's say we, we offered this wine, it has to get picked up and transferred to our warehouse. Um, all that, all that type of stuff. Um, so operations handles that we have an email marketing team. So, um, the email marketing team will really, you know, take the wine, the content, obviously they put it in the, the email template, they send it out, but they also do something that was really interesting to me, which I had never really had any experience with before wine access, which is really looking at um, segmentation. So what they do is look at sort of the total addressable market for every wine that we have. So we don't want to bore people by just spamming them with emails about wines that they're not interested in or have shown an affinity for. So they'll take a look at our list. Of course, we have to start with how much wine do we actually have? Because <laughs> right. we also don't want to, you know, um, we don't want to disappoint a lot of people. So their job is to, is, to, is to look at that and to understand consumer behavior based on their past purchasing and say, this person has shown an affinity. Let's say, I'll just as an example, they've shown an affinity for white burgundy and this price point. So I'm going to target them with this. I'm not going to bother them with Australian Shiraz because they've never even opened an email from us about that. And so what that allows us to do is then sort of get smarter and smarter about what we're putting in front of whom so that we're trying to keep people as engaged as possible. Is that kind of an algorithm thing? Um, it's, it's really data. I mean, it's, it's just looking at data. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's not a perfect science by any means, but you know, it's, it is really interesting. There's definitely some consistent crossover of, you know, consumers who enjoy a certain region versus another and, and how there is, there is some, definitely some patterns there across consumers, but then some people will really surprise us as well. So, um, the, that's the email marketing team. Um, they also work on things like our social media platforms as well. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I mentioned the wine team. Um, we have content. So we, we generate all of our own content. So we never want to just take something that's out there on the internet and regurgitate it into our offer. We, we write everything ourselves. We've got an right. amazing team of professional writers who are, uh, one is a wine, uh, also a winemaker. One is a former psalm. Um, so these are people who actually really know and love wine, but are in a 
the content um, part of the industry. And then we have a member services team. So it's a Napa-based team of people who will handle anything from, you know, inbound calls saying, oh, I, you know, I, I missed the email about such and such. Like, can you place the order for me? Or I want to change my ship date or my address or those types of things. Um, and then we also have a merchandising team. So the store, um, you know, we always want to have a great uh, mix of products in the store. So we have merchandising that works on that. And of course, I cannot forget probably the most important role in the wine business overall, which is compliance. (laughs) Yeah, I wrote that down, legal. (laughs) Legal. (laughs) Yes. For sure. And when you you say merchandiser in the store, you're talking about in the online world, in your version. In the online world. Exactly. Exactly. Well, one of the things I, you know, I'll, I'll ask you, but so you I jotted down quite a few things like accounting and digital marketing, social media, you know, operations, logistics. Do all of the jobs at Wine Access require a wine background or is it better that they that somebody say is a social media expert and they can learn about how it relates to wine or whatever the role might be? That's an excellent question. So I think it depends a bit on the role itself. So let's say, for instance, you know, we were just talking about compliance, like obviously, alcohol is such a specific role in the United States with with everything that, that you know, even by state, we have to be considerate of. Um, so obviously, having some experience in, in the wine business, um, certainly to be on the wine team, you need to have been, you know, in the industry before. Um, but I think to use your example, no, I mean, we, we've had some people who've started on marketing on the marketing team who are, aren't um, experienced in wine, but can bring something to us and we can learn from each other. Um, mm. But I will say what we do is through the Napa Valley Wine Academy, we put everybody um, in the company through at least WS, WSET level two. So, mm-hmm. um, yes. Yeah. So we, we do want, even if they're, you know, if they're, whatever role they're they're writing checks we do want them to at least understand uh, a level two yeah but it's not required to get the job and 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 i like to point that out because one of the things you know one of the things i like one of the reasons whole reason for this podcast is to explain to people just because you don't have a lot of wine knowledge you know you might be great at marketing or social media or maybe you're from operations or warehousing or whatever you know there's a lot of wine wine jobs quote unquote um, that you don't necessarily have to have a lot of wine experience, but obviously whatever you're going to do in the wine industry, you know, whether, even if it's just it or something that's really unrelated, but it, it'd be hard to be in this industry and not get passionate about the product. You know, you would, you, you would want that and it's contagious. So. Exactly. Yeah. As long as you have a, a, an interest and a, you know, a passion for learning about it, yeah. I mean, and we, we used the example earlier, right. Of, you know, you were saying, tell people to, even if it's a, in some cases, step back to get experience. I mean, there, you can learn so much just by, right. by being around, you know, other people in the industry who have more experience. So, yeah. Yeah. And I tell people evaluate what your skills are, what you have right now. And, you know, the wine industry, every company within the wine industry needs the same kind of positions that every other company has, every other industry mm-hmm. has. You know, you mm-hmm. need the legal people, you need the accountants, you know, the bean counters and all that. So anyway, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought all, all that up. That was, that's helpful. I think to the audience, it encourages them to say, okay, you know, I can do that. So um, <laughs> you talked a little bit about your role, but you, so you're as chief wine officer, 
you oversee the team of the of the wine team, basically everyone who's you know touching the wine, tasting. That's the right. Wine. That's right. So ultimately, any wine that is offered on our platform, whether that's through one of our clubs or subscriptions, the online store or the daily offer, ultimately, I funnels through me. Um, so, so all of the wine curation, and then I also work very closely with the content team uh, to about how we're how we're talking about the wines, um, and then really just with the marketing team in general. So you know, I participate in a lot of things like our you know things on social media or doing you know webinars, things like that. So, right. so it's really kind of you know the curation and the communication about the wines, whether that's in the written form or video or you know in person speaking about the wine. Right. So you started this role or you started at Wine Access in 2017. How had, and then you got your MW in 2020. So Mm -hmm. how is your MW status, your master of wine status helping you or how does it apply to what you're doing? So I, you know, I, I was at Wine Access, uh, you know, as you mentioned, like already before, before I became an MW. So it didn't open the door to my job there. Becoming an MW is not the end of learning. It's for me, it's provided the ability to learn more because as an MW, there, there is an advantage to calling up and saying, Hey, I really want to visit your winery. Can I come by and talk to you? And of course, that's, it can be a bit easier, but it's, it's you never know everything. So I'd say it's helped me continue to learn and form relationships around the world. But I think one of the most valuable things it really taught me is is really assessing quality in wine uh, on, a, on, a, on a you know price to quality ratio so that's something that you know when we are doing our the practical exam or the blind tasting exam for the for the master of wine we of course we have to identify origin and variety winemaking you know vintage if um if it's a classic region you know we have to talk about though also um how would you market this wine to a consumer um you know and what's the quality level and that's something i think that I think it's important to point out because blind tasting is not just a party trick of, you know, can you just name where this is from? It's really allowed me to say, I don't care what score this got from somebody else. I'm going to taste the wine and I'm going to evaluate the quality. And would I be happy? Would I feel like I um, am surprised and delighted by the price I paid for this wine based on just what's in the glass? And so that that I think has been probably the most valuable thing. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, although I don't have the credential that you do, but I so often out with friends or whatever, and they shove a glass at me and they go, tell us what this is. And to them, that would make me an expert if I could just taste the Mm -hmm. wine and go, oh, it's a, you know, it's a Pinot Noir. That would, you know, that would get them to think, oh, I'm the smartest person in the world. There's so much more to it than that. And and you really, um, it's important to sort of understand it's not just about the grape. It's about all the other qualities of the wine. Mm-hmm. And uh, although the other day I was out with a girlfriend just having a glass of wine and she's always <laughs> kind of bill- way over billing me. And <laughs> I was her stop saying that. But anyway, uh, we were at a little wine bar and they were passing around a wine. They just said, let's have fun. We'll just blind taste everybody on this wine. And I actually got her and it was a Spatberg under. And I was like, they oh, like, my word. Wow. I haven't tasted a paper gunner in six years. It was a total lucky guess on my part. 
I well mean, I did. <laughs> I, I did the process in my brain, but I was really proud of myself because it's been a while yeah. since I've done that. Good <laughs> so for that was, you. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of fun. I, w- I was happy with that. So, you know, you've been in the wine industry for a, a few years. You've worn a lot of hats. You guys are into, you know, e-commerce and digital marketing. How is the world, you know, how is the world of wine business of, you know, getting wine into people's hands? How has it changed over the last few years? And, you know, what things have affected it? There's some obvious elephants in the room. And then maybe where do you, where do you see it going? What's next for the world of wine? Yeah. uh, So, well, one thing that came out of COVID for sure is, is consumers embracing e-commerce for wine, which the United States had been under indexing um, compared to other countries in terms of direct to consumer um, e-commerce wine um, shopping. You know, we were also, you know, under indexing um, wine in comparison to, you know, home goods or electronics or other things that people would feel very comfortable shopping online. So we definitely saw that um, maybe just because of necessity, <laughs> um, right. definitely consumers understood, Hey, there's this whole other place where I can, I can shop. I think, you know, with that comes, um, the responsibility that we have to, to then be able to engage with people in a way online that you can't, when you're face to face, you know, if I had someone in my shop in New York, of course I can read their body language. I might see what they're holding in their shopping bag that they just got at Fairway and what they're going to cook for dinner and be, you know, there's a level of of trust from seeing that person's face every day. So it's, you know, it's, um, it was a great opportunity for the online space, but I think for people that will remain successful, it's really understanding that, like, how can you communicate and engage and build trust and relationship with people virtually? Right. So, so that definitely, that definitely changed. I mean, I think we're seeing in the wine industry sort of a a really some major challenges that I can say for sure that I've never experienced, at least not all at once, which, you know, looking at some, some vintage issues, you know, we've had fires here in, you know, Napa Valley in 2020. So whereas we maybe would be offering a lot of those wines right now, they're not available or they're available in limited quantities. We've had some very short vintages um, from, you know, Burgundy from the Loire Valley um, that's created, uh, you know, shortages in the market. And then you talk about, of course, supply issues about things that have nothing to do with what's actually in the bottle. But, you know, I have suppliers that literally can't get glass. They can't get right. bottles <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> to, yeah. to, to, to bottle their wine and get it to market. So it's, um, it's, it's just sort of been a really wild ride to see this, you know, this great, um, you know, uh, uptick on, in online sales, but then, you know, coming out of that to see how these like brand new challenges as well. So it's, it's definitely not for the, the faint of heart. <laughs> Well, that's the one thing that's kind of fun about the wine industry is you really never know what it's going to bring because every vintage is different. But the mm-hmm. unfortunate thing about the wine industry is you, it's so unpredictable that you it's hard to plan a business model around it because mm-hmm. you don't always know. And then, you know, let's throw in climate change, which is what's led to the fires and the frost and the hail and the all, mm-hmm. on it goes in different parts of the world and global warming and all that. I mean, it really is... Um, I guess it makes it kind of exciting in a way. I guess how boring would it be if it just stood still? But I could do without some of the fires and all of that. <laughs> you and me both. Too. And yeah, yeah, I didn't really like seeing those flames outside my window. <laughs> that wasn't very much no. fun. But 
No, no. But hopefully, we've only had one so far this year. Let's hope that yeah. that we don't have a whole lot more. Well, tell our audience how can they learn more about you and Wine Access. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So, you know, we're WineAccess.com. So feel free to, you know, check us out on on the internet. Um, if you just go to our navigate to our site, you'll see. Uh, what we have in our online store. Um, I didn't speak as much about our, our clubs or our subscriptions, but we have several different options for, for wine clubs. If you want to learn um, the way that we operate is a bit different than um, some other wine clubs, which is we really have uh, a very serious bent on education through our clubs. So every club shipment will have a theme, for instance, you know, uh, winemaking. So wine showing different, different, you know, things that a winemaker might do or will showcase we had, um, you know, high elevation in island wines was one of our one of our mm-hmm. themes. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had we have a theme coming out that's you know single variety versus blend. So we're tasting you know 100 of that variety versus what does it do when it's blended with others. So it's a great way to learn. Um, we have three different tiers of that. We also fulfill a wine club for wine folly, and of course Madeline Paquette, she's you know wine educator as well. So. Um, we work with the Michelin Guide. We're the official wine partner of the Michelin Guide. So I have a, a Michelin subscription, which is another club you could sign up for if you want to sort of um, see what different Michelin restaurants are showcasing around the world. That's a way to learn as well. Um, and then on social media, we're you know at Wine Access on Instagram. Uh, we just sort of started getting into TikTok, um, and uh, and then I'm, I personally am just my first and last name on Instagram, Vanessa Conlin. Okay. You know, what? one thing as you're talking about, and, and I have your website open while we're talking, I'm kind of poking around on there. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the thing that really comes to mind for me is, you know, as you said, COVID sort of forced everybody online. And, you know, there's a lot of big retailers that you can certainly buy a lot of wines online. But the difference to me between a, a big retailer that has brick and mortar and also has an online presence is that, you guys are singularly focused on literally curating the best of the best and that, you know, you're in good, you really, I feel like a a buyer, a consumer could be very comfortable knowing that everything's been vetted as opposed to a big brick and mortar store that you can happen to buy their wines online. Not nothing against the big brick and mortars, by the way, you know, there's a need there. You know, we have, there's plenty of, you know, wine consumers out there that want more, uh, widely distributed wines. There's plenty of room for mm-hmm. that. But for those who are looking for that more unique wine experience, and I love how much of everything you do ties into education and learning and and having people grow. And, you know, that's what wine's all about. It's, it's all about that sort of continuing education. And whether you're brand new at it or you're, even your newsletters, you know, you might be talking about a new wine, but at least they're, even if they don't buy it, they're learning. So <laughs> exactly. you've got articles on your, on your website and, and all of that. So I think all that's great. So can you, you know, I'd like to always wrap it up with some good, uh, in, good advice to our audience. What are your words of wisdom for anybody listening that would like to get into the wine industry with wine access or with, in any other area aspect of the wine industry? Um, any advice you have, something they could, some actionable item they could do? Absolutely. I love that question. Um, I probably have more than three um, but definitely, you know, <laughs> um, you know, learning, and I think we covered this. And I'm, I'm really glad we talked about it because there's so many ways to do that. You know, obviously, I I 
enjoyed the WSET and, you know, taking classes. Um, so whether it's that or, you know, there's so many ways these days to, to learn, you know, there's so much available online. If you don't want to go sit through a class, you know, there are books, there are videos. I mean, when I was starting out learning about wine, all this video content was not available <laughs> that I you mean, can, that you can find now. But I think also, you know, what you mentioned before, which is, you know, you can also learn by doing and, you know, just being around other people in the industry, you know, maybe, you know, taking a, taking a job where you get to be around someone with more experience is it is a great way to learn. Um, and that kind of ties into my, my, my second piece of advice, which is, which is kind of to be humble and learn how to listen. Um, I think sometimes it with, not just with the wine industry, but sometimes a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous and then it prevents you from hearing other people when you want to start telling everyone what you know. So I'd say, you know, there, there are plenty of times where, you know, someone may be t- talking to me about something that, that. Maybe I know that topic, but you know what? If I just listen, I might learn more than I than I did when I started. So, you know, always be humble, always be listening, taste really broadly. I think it's 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 important to remember that there is a consumer for all wines. And I think sometimes um it can be easy to fall into like, oh well, you know, this type of wine is isn't, you know, is is good enough or that's just a, you know, a, a supermarket wine or don't forget lots of people buy wines in the supermarket lots of people do and some of them Uh, are really delightful right right exactly not every wine was meant to be put in your cellar and aged and and kind of worshipped you know there are plenty of wines that are made for immediate consumption and that's just to say like under try to understand that there's a consumer for your 9.99 bottle there's a consumer for your you know for your drc bottle but that there's there's a wine for everybody um And then, you know, I think stay, read, stay um, abreast of current events, you know, kind of what we were talking about, like what's happening in the wine industry right now. These are, these are unprecedented times, although as you kind of <laughs> hinted at, they're always unprecedented in the wine business because you can never count on anything when we're working right. with Mother Nature. But I think it's important to just to, to read, you know, keep on, uh, on top of, of, of current events and topics and what's happening. And then I I think probably my, my last piece would just to, to remember that it's a business and it's also a business that's very much based on relationships and, you know, have integrity, be polite, be responsive, treat people with respect. It is a very much relationship driven business and you never know where you're going to end up where the person that you're talking to in that moment is going to end up uh, in the future. Yeah. I had a a former boss that told me, be nice to the competitors because you never know when you might be working for them. (laughs) (laughs) really all of your points were so helpful and thank you for thinking about those ahead of time. And I know our audience really appreciates that. I love the one you said, taste broadly. You know, I think a lot, well, I know a lot of consumers think, well, I was on an airplane one time, I'll tell a cute story. And there was a gentleman sitting next to me and he was, you know, probably in his mid thirties, looked like a junior executive in a suit and tie. And he was in the middle and I'm on the end and I'm, drawing up some presentation that I'm going to be giving so he could see the wine bottles and the wine labels and stuff. So he says, Oh, are you in the wine industry? And we get talking. He goes, yeah. He goes, you know, I really like wine. He goes, but I haven't found my wine yet. And I go, 
I hope you never do. I said, well, <laughs> don't limit your, I mean, you know, go to the yeah. store. There's 2000 bottles of wine on the shelf. Why limit yourself to one wine, you know? And, uh, and, and he looked at me really funny. He goes, I thought I was, I thought I'd be more, I'd be more sophisticated if I could find my wine. I'm like, no, no, taste mm. everything. Yeah. You might surprise yourself. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really, that one's really, really hit home with me. Well, Vanessa, I really can't thank you enough. You are a wealth of knowledge. You're such a great guest. And thanks to you and thanks to Wine Access for giving us access to you. (laughs) (laughs) All your great insights. And uh, thank you very much for being here. Uh, It was a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And thanks to the audience, as usual. Thanks for hanging in there with us and coming back, you know, every other week. We have a new episode coming up and appreciate all of our loyal followers and listeners. We really appreciate you guys. So we'll see you next time. Thanks again, Vanessa. Thanks to all of you for joining. And I hope today's show has inspired you to make a career out of your passion for wine. If you'd like to have a one-on-one career coaching session with me, just use the link in the show notes for more information or to schedule an appointment. This podcast is all about helping you follow your dreams. So feel free to send us your suggestions for guests or topics through our email link that's listed in the show notes. And it means an awful lot when you share us with friends or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode.